This is a conversation with Cliff Capono. It's early February 2020 on Vestler's Creators trip. And it's about science and asking the right questions that Cliff explains to us. Analyzing data. We go through things like color and creativity. The tension with perfection in his work and understanding. A legacy that he's both come to understand and loosely holds as he moves forward in his work. It's about confidence and intuition, information about outlying points of data, being in your absolute, absolute high-flying fifth and sixth gears. I'll let Cliff explain. Thank you for your perspective, your work, and your insights and understanding in the things that to us, it all matters, all matters to us, but yet we might not understand to the depth that you've spent so many years and continue and will continue to do in the sciences, surfing, and more. Cliff Capone. And someone believed it And look what it's done so far What's so amazing that To which everyone, and myself included, realise I don't always know what you do And I know you do many things So if, if you would care to introduce what you're working on And also what you love to do no? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, a surfer and a scientist and a storyteller. The science that you are studying now, how has it changed in the last sort of five, ten years? Mm. Yeah, so the, the science that I uh, did up until 2018 was, um, it was science for my education so it was like training so I just learned different school uh, different tools and skill sets and methodologies uh, to get into science research specializing in like basic science research basic science research is trying to create like a certain spark that can light an engine in a certain way or finding the right ratio of gas to air to spark something in a piston that's all like basic research that will add to the overall engine so i guess the analogy is the type of science i learn how to do tries to better understand nature and in that way um, the engine that we speak of it's kind of like our interactions with nature and just knowing the right ratios of say like human influence or you know, disease or even like microbes that are healthy for our bodies. Those all ultimately, by understanding how nature works, it helps the engine work a lot better. Wow, that's really beautifully described. And it helps me understand the way you puzzle things together and the struggles with the relationships of the things that are working or aren't working. I mean, one of the conversations that I'm having with everyone here throughout this week as we've been building stuff and working on things is the approach to creativity and for you how it sounds really creative the way you think to obviously there's a laboratory of standardized testing but it seems like 
there's ideas that are extremely creative to then put into practice or field test. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, so I'm lucky because I study nature, which is ultimately the most creative thing there has been so far. And I just kind of gain inspiration and questions that it's more I have questions and the creative part coming comes in and how do I find out how to even ask the right question because there's so many things in everyday life that is just so interesting and so compelling I want to learn so much about so many different things but do I have the skill sets that I can actually ask the right question you know this was the first time I've shaped a surfboard you know and I didn't even up until this point I didn't even actually know how to ask I think for a board I would say like most efficiently I'm saying oh could we do this or could we do that and after just being in the the shaping room with Travis and just with everyone stopping in now it's like it just opened up my mind to realize that I can ask a question about concaves and v's and rail lines and beak noses versus you know are we trying to get more speed channel more in speed control the speed now it's all these terminologies that i didn't even really know existed now i'm starting to add that to my toolbox so the next time i speak to a shaper i can say okay look i want a little more down rail on this part or i want a little more concave or can you keep it flat for me this is the fin setup i want this is how the water channel release out the tail. You know, these are just things that I wasn't educated in. So I didn't really know how to, like, again, ask that question on how to solve the problem. Whereas in science, I went through a lot of years of formal scientific training. I'm looking at the scientific method, trying to develop methodologies and skill sets at what tools do I know how to perform or what tools can I get access to to get answers to these questions so i'm definitely more comfortable in in asking scientific questions and trying to get creative in how do i answer them that's where the real creativity comes it's like you get a question and you can answer in many different ways and i look at uh, the molecules the chemistry of how things operate and work and in the chemistry it allows me to speak kind of this universal language that animals communicate between species or you know trees can communicate to the atmosphere all of this conversations are happening via the chemistry the molecules which we're emitting and also receiving so i specialize in the chemistry of um how things work together it's it's funny because when let's come back to the surfboard thing because i feel maybe more comfortable there (laughs) but it was um it's scary when somebody picks up a board and explains what it does or tells you this is the best thing because of these principles that are at play. Not because they might be wrong. I just feel like we're still in infancy and really understanding mm. these things. And it stifles a creative mind or spiritual approach to um, button up the the uh, formula, so to speak. But sure. to suggest a methodology or a f- functional performance that you're designing towards allows room for mystery not mm-hmm. i mean pursuing excellence but around allows room for mystery but the way to bring it up seems the most creative and 
open-ended discussion is posing the right question. Mm. So from what I've heard you say, and if we bring it back to a surfboard, I think when people order boards, asking what something on a board does is a little short-sighted because it's like you you got to look at the whole thing, mm. the whole cohesive thing. So perhaps if we did this to the board or accentuated this part of the board or added these fins here, what would it do to sure. the whole performance is a, a more holistic view of things. Sure. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from you. But when it comes to surfboards, it's it's about the questions, not the statements. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it's also having the, the skill set, the, the formal training or the ability to maybe analyze the data, to truly be able to analyze and interpret it. So like, um, say someone like Derek Disney, like I'm a huge fan of the way he um, barrel rides because he can really get really high in the barrel and then he can maneuver in the barrel and get come back down. A lot of times side slipping and putting it on rail. It's, it's difficult to even describe what he does because when you see these barrels that he makes on all these different crafts, it's just like you're, you're blown away. So for someone like Derek to be able to now begin to manipulate little parts of the rail or the fin, he has the tools to test it and also interpret it and improve upon that. And I think that's where self becomes an important part of the equation, where if you really develop yourself, that's like an instrument. That's like how you collect the data. You know, we are the, like in, in science, I go to a machine and I put it in the machine, it collects the data, it processes it, it runs some algorithms, pops out a number, and that's what I use to say whether it was good or bad. Whereas we, when we ride these boards, we're like this highly sophisticated measuring device that can, you know, with exact sensitivity, determine whether something is just not right. You may not be able to fully describe it, but you're like, ah, oh, this is not quite working. And to me, that just is a testament to just the human body that we don't even realize how insanely sensitive um, our body is to the slightest of details. You know? I've had uh, discussions with um, fluid dynamicist, dynamicists, is that the right word? People studying fluid dynamics, mm -hmm. um, PhD professors. <laughs> and it was, um, I'd given a talk and then they happened to have been in the crowd. <laughs> so, and I'm always careful to not grip together aerodynamics and hydrodynamics they mm -hmm. have an overlap yeah. but borrowing words could even get you into trouble and the most beautiful thing he summed up was he says that oh, that was really interesting the conversation was fun but he said there's an intuition that you have with the way water's flowing in these surfboards and we could probably fill about one maybe one and a half pages of the of algorithms and theories that you're embracing using and depending on but the intuition that one builds is really really valuable and you need to trust that so because i don't like to look at surfboards as science i like to look like as surfboards that have science in them mm -hmm. and riders that are full of emotions and incredibly intuitive mm -hmm. to empower people to like trust your intuition like you were saying, like we're very complex machines gathering this data. But I challenge everyone to be like, they're like, oh, I couldn't feel the difference between those fins. And it's like, 
well, with an open enough mind, I, I really feel like you can. Yeah, totally. And it's a discipline that one gets used to, and, and it's and it's playing and testing totally. and trial and error. And, totally. I mean, half of these boards that this week I've learned, um, what were they, 85 surfboards here? Didn't write them all, clearly. But you learn little things, and you see them in different lighting. Totally. And that intuition is something that it, that you can build up a confidence within yourself because it's very personal. It's it's a yeah. personal ride. Yeah. Well, I, that's just how it was today when I was riding the board that I shaped with Travis Reynolds. Like, it was in completely different from I rode it with this single fin really far forward, and then I moved it really far back. And before, I never I, people say, "Oh, it's really loose when you put it, you know, up," or it's really stiff when you put it in the back more drive and i really we have this long box that is like i don't even know like 18 inches, 18, yeah, inches. 18. it's like you, there's so much range so to see the extremes of where a fin placement goes i could really tell the difference from like literally the tail was just sliding all over the place on turns to all the way back it just was rocketing down the face and these are on like crappy little waves you know and i just started moving it around so I found that sweet spot where I felt is just enough release with just enough drive. And now it was in a matter of an hour. I just took the time, which I, I feel I just never really took that time to to in, interpret that and, and collect the data, really. I just kind of was into this interpretation or the fear of maybe my machine wasn't sensitive enough, you know. But I, it, like you said, like it isn't and kind of getting back to that that way you're talking about the hydrodynamics and the fluid dynamics of things you know i think just you know listening to just all these board builders and you know scientists in their own right speak about the way these boards operate in the water it like helps me to think about it where just in terms of water channeling from nose to tail and i i'm not like a, a board builder so like i'm just coming in from left field here but i'm thinking about it. it's like there's a point where the water will go from tail to nose or from like rail to rail like to think like we do these tests where we're just testing like nose to tail movement it kind of seems a little bit silly like we're missing out on all this other movement of water as you maneuver from rail to rail or you slide the tail like when you release the tail you're going backwards and now you have water going from tail to, to nose which is completely different than the tests that a lot of people are setting up in these chambers and that's just similar to the way like technology um evolves and understandings evolve like the human body we you know up until a certain amount of time in kind of contemporary or conventional science believe that the human body was primarily made up of human dna where now we're coming to realization that 99% of the DNA that is found in and on our body is microbial. So if you took a Q-tip and you just swapped their mouth, eye, nose, ear, hands, you know, poop, whatever it is, you're getting 99% microbes of DNA in that sample. And there's only 1% of the DNA that is getting picked up is actually human-derived. So when you look at these like CSI forensic tests, they're just looking for the 1%. That defines who, what human was there. But those 99% of microbes that are on a human, they're very specific to humans. And this is the type of research that I did in my graduate studies to be able to look at how does that 99% of microbial DNA define what it, a human or where they've been. 
So the same idea of just looking at how water is moving from the nose to the tail, if we start to include all these other dimensions of water flow across the surfboard, then maybe we'll come to a, a clear understanding of how a board truly interacts with the wave. Wow. Yeah, I think having that, you know, little more broad broad perspective, a little more of an open mind, not to belittle what we know, but to involve the mystery that's there, you know. Totally. Don't put a lid on this. Totally, totally. I think it, but people get scared of not knowing, you know, they want to know things, they want things explained, we're all insecure. I speak for myself, we we, we want to be part of, part of something, we want to be loved, and it's just primal, you know, mm. these are the things, so we make these... Uh, reaction responses instead of re a reaction rather than a response to to get those things met as opposed to just sitting with things and being quite comfortable not knowing totally and surfing is a very beautiful uh, canvas within which to test that you know we're out there having fun but it's it means something to us and we walk away stoked but go out there and try stuff you don't know and that's building up that personal reference is the surfing lifestyle totally yeah when it comes to um when it comes to w your work and i ask this question because i've asked it across the board in terms of um making things crafting things boards resin work all that stuff artwork um what's the relationship you have with um perfection mm. and, it, and it might be a conversation you have in your mind because we all do um where where would you take that conversation i i know that my my work is never perfect but i strive for it i mean i'm like i, I definitely am i don't know if i would call myself a perfectionist because i i feel like i kind of come to terms with like i don't i don't know if i can ever reach that but I'm very much addicted to the pursuit. Like I, I take a lot of um, time to look at details. I, I think about things. A lot of times is when I'm actually performing the action. That's maybe 5% of the whole process. Like a lot of it for me is the visualization. Even before I kind of like, and I do it with a pen and a, uh, I, at first it's in my mind and that's usually when I'm um, in quiet spaces and then it goes pencil to paper usually um, I don't really create things on a computer um, whether it's a project um, I, I draft it out it's almost like a picture and I'll draw this like kind of doodle and that's when I start doing the research what do I need and then I go to the computer and then I'm looking through all the literature and I'm trying to create this project that I can present to someone who believes in that vision because ultimately I need financial resources for these types of scientific research. They're very expensive. Um, sampling, the, the type of science that I, questions that I ask in order to answer them, it costs about anywhere between 75 to a hundred dollars per sample. Um, and to get a, a a statistically powerful set of samples and data size looking at anywhere between 1000 to 5000 samples so quickly you can see how it gets really expensive 
and across the board in general, um, science research is, is expensive. Um, and that's why we have like national endowments, like the National Science Foundation, which I'm currently a fellow of. Um, there's the National Institute of Health. There's a lot of different um, funds, you know, philanthropic organizations, which help to push this basic research uh, into fruition monetarily. So that's kind of the way I feel that I um That's half the project all the way up until getting it funded. And then once you get it funded, then it's performing it, which is pretty much just following the recipe, which you designed. And however that the outcome is, if you if you created a a strong idea and a way to execute it, no matter if it works or not, it's still powerful data that you can present to the rest of the scientific community, which then gets translated to the lay community. So actually doing the work at the end, it's like the 5%. It's all that creating and thinking and visualization and thinking about what could go wrong. How would I correct for that? And and then it gets to a point where something's going to go wrong that I never thought was going to happen. And then to find a creative solution for that problem. Like, to me, that's the, that's striving for that perfection line because people see the end product. Like, wow, you created this project, you published this paper, it got picked up and you're like this like really smart genius that found the new way to do something. But people don't see all the failures that needed to happen in order to get to that, you know, success or whatever that is. Even though failure is a success, it it all adds up. And, and these are all things that people say all the time and, and I know, but for me, it's that that's where my work I think is the most um, fun is trying to create something. And, and that goes for not just science, it's even in the surfing, you know, like really fortunate now to split my time between um, science and surfing, you know, on like a daily, a daily operation. And to be able to think about even with surf, you know, I, I feel like within the surf industry, my really strong goal was to be a contributor i just wanted to contribute to surf culture because i feel like i've taken so much inspiration from the culture traditional culture hawaiian culture contemporary culture global culture of surfing all of that blended into how i even think about you know creating a project a science project or writing an article like surfing just the way you know the surf influences my perspective is uh, so immense that even that is creating creating things where I'm not just like going out and surfing for myself I want to I want to be able to surf in a way that contributes like my science or like my storytelling so it's all about I guess chasing that chasing that um I don't know, chase the perfect wave, chase the perfect, you know, science project, chase the perfect story. It's, I love the chase. How, how young were you when you realized what you wanted to do, your lane, and how similar to, is it to what you thought it was going to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. I, I would say, you know, what, what is my lane? Where really, where, where is my, maybe not where is my lane? Cause I, maybe I know where my lane is. My lane is Hawaii. Like I'm from, I don't ever remember thinking like, Oh, I'm a Hawaiian. 
Like Hawaii is my home. I just there was no ever um there was never any doubt that I knew where I come from and I knew that I belong in Hawaii. And I might have to leave for a little bit, but there's nowhere else on this planet I can go that I would feel right. That I would feel in balance. So from a very young age I knew that. How I was gonna contribute in that space, like I, I didn't know. And science has always been like a really strong passion of mine. Surfing, um, storytelling, all these things, and I just kind of it took time to figure out how I could blend all of them together. But now that it's kind of fitting a nice a nice storyline, I guess, I, I'm really just really, really grateful to be able to be doing all three. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, hats off and well done for the the pot that you put together. It's so personal and it's so you. Yeah. Yeah, it's inspiring. But people, I mean, I have people on the way, for sure. Like, it, as, you know, how as nice as it may sound that I just did all this stuff on my own and no one believed. And uh, I mean, I had a strong support group all um, at home in Hawaii. And as I began to meet, like, amazing people along the way, it just... I've realized that I kind of maybe held on to this idea that no one cared about what I thought or what I was trying to do. And I I don't think I kind of got that because, you know, your teachers or your mentors, they have their own path they're going on. And they're usually at a mentorship or a professorship or a teacher or, you know, someone you're looking up to. They're already flying at like fifth gear, sixth gear maybe. So you're just, you know, in first gear trying to get on the road and they're just like, get out of the way, just like passing you by. You're like, wow, they don't even care about me. And it's easy to start to think like, my car is not fast enough or I can't move in that way. And really, it's just you just got to gain some momentum and start shifting gears. And it's you that is in charge of that shift. And and I think that's what I had to realize that just because people are kind of passing me by doesn't mean that I don't have a place on this lane, on this road. I have a place. And it needed me to really feel like, okay, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, feel like I'm hitting like a higher gear. And then someone comes along that's like, hey, you know what? You got 10 more gears on this thing. You're just like, what? Like, how is this even possible? And then a whole nother world um, opens up. And that's what I'm starting to realize. It's all about not limiting myself and thinking, oh, no one cares, that's silly, it's stupid. It's just to really just know that it's possible to get to that next gear, even when people say it's not going to work out. And even if it doesn't work out, whatever, just throw that thing in neutral and coast for a little bit, you know? <laughs> it's I, I think of people that are passionate and in those fifth, sixth gears that you look at, and especially when their lane is something so different than what you're doing. Yes. And for me, that's inspirational. And having this conversation with Jason yesterday and his work and his art vision and growing up how that morphed and changed, but realizing one day what he really wanted to bring into the world and the positive effect it could have and just staying true to that. And it feels like the message to young scientists young shapers young glasses 
old scientists, old shapers, old surfers, just to everyone is just just to be you and be it yeah. all the way to sixth gear. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? And it's I, I have a hard time with um, uh, inspiration, like looking for inspiration, because it really comes from everywhere. But to look ac- across the counter to somebody doing something completely different. But in their give that freedom in their in their lane, that's more empowering than somebody doing the same thing. I mean, I like I see these mini like documentaries sometimes, or you know, I like actually hearing stories around like the fire, word of mouth. Those are sometimes the best. Um, you know, there's I hear so many of them, and it just gets me so pumped up. But in terms of like you know the secondary is like you know these little films and things like that. I remember just seeing this one film one time about a postman in a small little town that just owned it and he was flying at eighth gear he just was like new you know when the big mail bag came from the central service station he was already like it needs to go here because that way i can throw it over my shoulder to pop it in that box and he just had this insane system and he's like 80 something he's like, i'll never retire He's like, this is this is what my life is, and he like everyone loves him around town, and he just it's like, wow, he takes so much pride in what he does, and has defined his lifestyle to a point where he he just enjoys every moment of it. It's almost like it, it's really it was really like beautiful to watch as he was just putting the mail in the box, you know, and it, it, that's the type of inspiration that I draw from where. I don't need to be known in every household. I don't need to be known by shapers or other surfers for me to know that I can just have opportunities to exist in these spaces. It's like some of the best board builders in the world, best surfers in the world, best people in the world. Like, man, I I don't know how I got so lucky to even be here. Mm. It's insane. It really is a global family and it's, you know, I think that kindred spirit of, you know, being together, designing things, finding our paths, moving forward, and, you know, sharing ideas along the way. It's it's just the best thing. And it's not just it's not just like Visla. It's like you know we're talking about Mark Andrini, we're talking about Joel Tudor, Devin Howard, we're talking about 100%. Dan Malloy. It's like all these people that were just, you know, across the board. All this like inspiration from from other sources and i think that's just so amazing you know we have like uh, we have minami boards out here and we have like i mean we have andrini's we have yaters we have like insane history that everyone has some story and just to be able to hear like like thomas you know just so many stories of these incredible contributors to surf culture and to just hear it word of mouth it's like it's it's insane. It, it it'd be like equivalent to someone like like imagine the people who were the students of like Thomas Edison, you know, or someone who was the apprentice of George Washington Carver, like all these people that are like so fundamental in the way society operates today. And imagine just hearing it from either their student or someone who knew them. It's like what were they thinking? And the stories are, they really like personify. We're just regular people. Yes. We're not like any better than anyone else. Yeah. Some make light bulbs, some deliver mail, but you know, do it to the highest gear you can. That's what it is. That's what it is, man. 
last thing, and I, I'm excited to hear your perspective on this without having thought about it for too long. I, I like the concept of this creative and innovative spirit. It, it rings home, it rings true to me and you and I. And, but do you, do you um, acknowledge the need for that to be maybe watered down somewhat into garnering a spirit of DIY and repair first because they seem to dovetail and they go hand in hand and I'm constantly interested like what what's the last thing you fixed yeah um let's see what is the last thing that I fixed um the easy thing is probably just you know dings on a surfboard probably is like the easiest one to to think about um besides fixing something um it's stuff that I I probably realize that I, I just don't have the the financial resources just to get a new one whether it's like um my camper the glass when um rubber on the tail like the back of the camper to close it it kind of started hanging off and instead of going on and then resealing new rubber like I went and like you know grabbed some glue and like I kind of stuck it back because I was like I'm not going to buy a whole new window for my camper that's not very like creative or innovative so like the diy part of it repair actually is creative and innovative and that's kind of how i i believe that the idea of creating more waste is not innovative so i try very much so to find out what's the highest level of innovation and i still look back to nature nature's way of creating no waste is the most innovative and sophisticated form of intelligence that we've we can even comprehend and it's just to where we're even like i'm fortunate i've i live in a on an island where we have clean air clean water clean food which we can gain access to if we innovate that into our lifestyle so you know like sometimes i you know, can't get to the garden or sometimes it's like all the waste is piling up. Lucky to have my mom. She's like up the road. She has a little farm with pigs. So, you know, we have all our waste, you know, food scraps can go to the pigs and we have like composting where we can compost different things. But I know that's difficult for someone who maybe lives in a city or that's difficult for someone who maybe works 12, 14 hour days to support, you know, family. Like I know it's not, I'm privileged um, in that sense. And it's just trying to find where does the technology help us to reduce that waste? You know, and, and I'm trying to. In terms of producing emissions and things like that, that's a whole nother innovation that I think I'm still struggling with. You know, for this trip alone, I know it, it cost me, I mean, maybe a little bit under a ton of carbon emission just to get here. You know, and that's just driving, that's flying, and that's the whole operation which is equivalent to i don't know three or four trees maybe you know for 30 years to offset that and or you do carbon credits i don't know it's that that part's hard definitely my um the emission impact i have but in terms of waste um sorry to interrupt okay um yeah that um you know maybe just you know, that was kind of a tangent that I don't even know why I brought up because that's always a difficult one for me trying to find. And I believe like 
as much as sometimes I feel I get maybe put into this environmental conversation as much as I enjoy being a part of it. It's just nature. I'm inspired by nature and I want to do the best I can to continue to be inspired by nature. I don't want to look outside to a barren landscape which is not thriving because I don't believe I would be able to create these these ways to express myself or answer questions. So the innovation really comes down to figure out how I can reduce the harmful impact I have on my surrounding environment and become a more effective environmental steward because ultimately that's going to help me to contribute a lot more and that's innovative to me so it all actually does tie in very similar and that's a perspective I think just has been passed down to me for a long time with my family and I hope to just do whatever I can that I can pass it on to the, the next generation thanks Cliff thank you Someday you will find it, the rainbow.